Well, I'm Dan Houck, one of the pastors around here. Pastor Chris is on sabbatical, and by now I'm sure he's just chill, right? He's got a, a, an umbrella. No, he's seeking God. Um, well, I want to share just something that I experienced when I was a kid, and that is how we communicated. So I'm a little older than a lot of you, younger than some of you, uh, but when, when I was young, there was three ways of communication. The first way was what we would do is two people would face each other, one people would begin moving their lips and sound would come out. The other person, after they stopped, would then open their mouth, move their lips, sound would come out, and that would happen back and forth, and you would interpret what the sounds meant as, have you ever heard of this form of communication? If, yes, talking. Uh, we, we used to talk, and then the, the other form of communication, uh, by the way, talking is one of the oldest forms of communication. I don't know if you know that or not, but second form, almost as old. Uh, this is where you would take some sort of a medium and then uh, you would mark it up. In my day, we used paper. No, we did not use clay. We used paper. And we would put markings, maybe liquid markings or dry markings, but we'd put these markings, these little swooshes and whatever. Th these had to be in a certain order to make sense, though. So we would, we would put them on a piece of paper, then we would put them in an envelope and put a destination with evidence that we had spent money on this to pay for somebody to take it there, and then somebody else would open it up. And they would get this, picture our mouths moving and sound coming out as they read it. Isn't that crazy? This is such an old form. Actually, this is true. When I was in college, I learned uh, that uh, a letter was sent by cuneiform. Uh, the oldest civilization they know in the world is the Sumerian Akkadian civilization. It's back in kind of modern day Iraq. And uh, they found what looked like, uh, you know, trumpets in different angles. That's cuneiform. And they found a letter that a, a boy had written from school. He was writing home to his parents asking for money. Legitimately, nothing has changed in thousands of years. So the third form of communication uh, was this, this device that would be either attached to the wall or sitting on a countertop, and it would have a little cord, and that cord would go into the wall, and, and then it would network there to, to houses with similar devices all over the world. And then what would happen is, you would be sitting there minding your own business, all of a sudden you'd hear this ring. And then there would be a pause, and then it, brrr, it would ring again, and then you would have to go over, and we actually did this. We would go, and we would pick it up. We had no clue who was on the other end of that, but we did it anyway. Uh, I, it's so funny. My parents are 93 and 94, and they, they have a modern cell phone, and when it rings, we'll be in the middle of a conversation. It'll ring, and they will they won't know who it is and they'll answer it. Hello? No, I don't want any new insurance or I don't need a car extension or whatever it is. So, so they, they still are in that habit of doing it, but it was crazy because we used to do, like if you were outside, you might miss a couple rings and you would literally run. You would run as fast as you could to grab this device and listen to see who might be on the other end. And sometimes you were very disappointed because it was for your sister, and then you wouldn't have any more phone calls for about two hours. But <laughs> it's weird too because we didn't have secrets. Because you could talk on this device with about a three-foot radius. That's as far as you could go, and everybody in the family heard the conversation that was going on. So that, that's, that's what I grew up with. Now, we have some modern day advances. We have uh, texting, right? We can do that now. 
It's a new way of communication. We have email, right? Who doesn't love email? I love seeing all the advertisements and things that are going on. So email. We also have Facebook, faces in a book. Like we can see each other. We can post where we're going on vacation. We can post the food we ate last night, right? We can post horribly gory, sickening pictures of injuries. Like, oh, look, this is my leg when it was severed, and here's when it's back on. I don't know why people do this, but they put their horrific injuries online. Please don't do that. It makes me dry heave when I see that. So there's Facebook, then there's Instagram, right? Instagram is a place we can also post pictures about our life. And you can also text in those different things too. So you don't wanna use a phone text, you can do other ways to to communicate. Um, But but also Twitter. Don't forget about Twitter because we need a place to rant. And Twitter is a perfect form. However, we found that when we rant, there was opposing viewpoints. So we needed to invent a new one. Mastodon was formed. So people of like mind could go there without any challenge. And then we realized, hey, wait a minute. That's a different viewpoint. So we started a new thing called Truth Social, which is on this side of us. So now we can all rant in different spaces. Thank goodness Mark Zuckerberg saw that we had a void, we had a need, and so he created this new thing called Threads. Have you heard of Threads? It's a new way to Twitter. So we have a gazillion different ways. We've got Snapchat and WhatsApp and all kinds of, of TikTok, all kinds of things that we use to communicate. You would think with all of that, we would be more connected and less lonely than ever before. When I was a kid, and we had those three methods, when one of those methods weren't going on, it was quiet. It was just like that, right? Now we have constant ways to connect with each other, yet we have never been lonelier. Never. They've done recent studies, and it's probably higher, because this was right before COVID. They found that just about two out of three people say that they are very lonely either some of the time or all of the time. And a third of people say they're lonely all the time. So if you look, we have three sections. Look at one section of people in this room. That is how many people on average are feeling lonely all the time. And that's a problem. It's a huge problem because it completely goes against our design. And we're going to be talking about friendship today because we are designed for friendship. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't need a friend, I'm married. But trust me, if you're married, you definitely need friendship because that's supposed to be your most important friendship, all right? So this is a message for everybody, young and old alike, it doesn't matter. We're going to be talking about friendship and how that needs to be a priority in our lives. So let's read what God has to say about this relationship, and it's found in the very earliest uh, parts of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And before we go on thinking about this is just about marriage, that's not true. Even though this was a married relationship, He's making a statement about the fact that Adam in the garden with just a relationship God with God was not good. Well, why wouldn't that be good? We know that God is our most important relationship. 
Well, it has to do with the fact that Adam was designed for another kind of important relationship. And without another person to relate to, he would not be able to fulfill his design. And so we need to understand how to have the kind of relationship that God originally designed for us. And we're going to do that this morning by learning four key points that happen to spell the word true so that we can walk away and remember it that will help us fulfill the God, the design that God has intended for us. So the first point in your notes, to experience God's design for two friendship, we need to, number one, we need to be truthful. We need to be truthful. Kind of sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Duh. You have to be honest with one another. Growing up, I, I was afflicted with something that we call reality communication syndrome. So reality dysfunction. So, so what happened is there was a reality and then there was a not reality. And I would tell people the not reality, right? Um, we used to call it lying, but it makes people feel bad. So now we call it reality dysfunction. Now you guys, you probably don't lie, right? I'm pretty sure you, some of you are thinking, I don't lie. And if you're thinking that right now, that's the first lie you've told today. All right. So I'm going to mention a few lies that we might tell, and you tell me if these might be you or not. I forgot. You ever said that as a lie? How about, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, I say that lie quite often at home. All right. Uh, I didn't get your text. Oops, I'm getting a, little, uh, getting a little close to home. I got stuck in traffic. That's a good one. I'm busy then. Uh, I need you to, could, could we get together? Uh, I can't, I can't, I don't have time. I didn't tell you when yet. When? Tomorrow. I can't, I'm, I'm busy, right? So, how about this one? I'm fine. You ever told that lie? How you doing? I'm fine. Or I can't come in today, I'm sick. Every single one of us has lied at some point on that one, right? Like a house has to sit on a solid foundation of concrete, a relationship has to sit on a solid foundation of trust. It has to. If there is no trust in a relationship, the relationship will fall. And truth is one of the most important things we need to experience a relationship with somebody. To the extent that somebody is being honest with us, we have a relationship with them. So you'll ever once in a while hear about somebody who was lying to somebody else, maybe in a dating relationship, and they found out, and they got all upset, and then they broke up. Well, it's because you were in a relationship with a, a fiction, right? With a fantasy, some, some sort of image somebody was putting forward. I used to see this a lot when I was the singles pastor. I would hear about a couple that broke up, and I'd hear one of them complaining. The other one said he had a job, and the other one said, you know, uh, they didn't have any pre previous addictions or whatever it was, and they would lie to somebody thinking, oh, I'll just lie to them, and I'll get into a relationship, and then it'll all work out, right? Uh, not thinking that if you're lying to somebody, they're in a relationship with somebody else. They're not in a relationship with you. So here's what Paul says in, in Ephesians 4.25. He says, what this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other. And after all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. See, lies damage relationships. 
That's kind of an, a duh. But maybe we don't realize that lies damage us. Did, did you know that when you're telling something that's not true, your heart races? Your heart rate goes up a little. Your blood pressure goes up. Your body releases stress hormones. Somebody once said, the nice thing about telling the truth is you don't have to remember what you said, right? So when you're telling the truth, it's just more calming to you. When you're lying, it's more stressful. It also changes your character. One lie leads to another, leads to another, and it sends your character down the wrong road. And it, it, it's tough in relationships to be honest sometimes because it makes us vulnerable. Because at some point, there's gonna be something about us that's not good. And at some point, we're gonna have to divulge that information. And it may cast us in a bad light. At some point, we may share something that puts the relationship in jeopardy because it's true. And we don't know how somebody else will react to it. But that doesn't stop us from the obligation of being honest. That's the only way to build the kind of relationship that God designed you for. So first thing we need to know is we have to be truthful. Secondly, to experience God's design for true friendship, I need to be reconciling. Reconciling. Teresa is a bookkeeper. So uh, one of the things she does when she keeps somebody's books is periodically she will reconcile the books. If you've done this before, you know, you balance your checkbook, that's what you're doing. So you look at your, your account, you see how much money is in your account, and then you look at what your checkbook says, and they're supposed to line up. If they don't, there's something wrong. You have to go into it, and you have to begin to explore and find out, oh, why isn't these two uh, figures lining up? And eventually you find out what the problem is, you work it out, and you make things line up again. That's what reconciling is. When we have relationships, the problem with relationships are at some point, the other person in the relationship, not us, but the other person is gonna screw up, right? And then we're gonna have to reconcile. No, we're all broken. We're all a mess at one point or another. That mess is going to affect the relationship. So we have to be in the habit of reconciling with others. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's just real. It just says things the way they are. In fact, some people complain about it. They'll say, there's so much sex and violence in the Bible. And it's like, well, that's what happened, right? So uh, I love it when I see something in the Bible that I can relate to. So I'm gonna show a story that happened in the book of Acts with two very prominent, important leaders in the early church. It's in Acts chapter 15, verses 38 to 40, it says this, but Paul disagreed strongly. So Paul was having an argument with somebody. Uh, he was arguing with, with Barnabas because Paul had, had had this guy with him on a previous missionary journey named John Mark, and uh, Barnabas uh, loved John Mark. He was related to him, and Barnabas was an encouraging guy. So, so they were about to go on this new missionary trip, and they were arguing about who they were gonna take. They, but they disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So Paul's saying, I got an issue with this. He didn't come with us. So I don't want him on our trip anymore. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now these are two very, very close friends, but they couldn't work things out. So they decided we're going our own way. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. 
So I love that the Bible shows this because I've had that kind of stuff happen in my life. Have you? You ever had a, a, a relationship, you're really close, and all of a sudden you, you bump heads, something happens, and you guys separate. You, you, you take time apart from each other. I think that can happen, and that's normal. But we have to have a heart that has a desire to reconcile with people. And uh, I think sometimes we don't, because it's going to be hard, we, we don't want to make that first step to try and talk to somebody about putting this relationship back together. And I think the other thing that's a problem is sometimes we have a misperception about what reconciliation looks like. Sometimes we think that reconciliation means we're exactly where we used to be or we're better than we used to be. And that can happen through reconciliation. I know Teresa and I were talking about how sometimes we have conflict, but a lot of the conflict we have had in our, in our marriage has act, actually helped us to understand each other at a more deep level. It's, it's brought us together and that can happen. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes a reconciliation happens with somebody where you make an effort with somebody and, and somehow you're able to get past whatever it was that separated the two of you, but your relationship looks a little different now. Maybe you don't feel quite as close. You don't spend quite as much time. It doesn't mean you haven't reconciled. It just means sometimes relationships change and there's reasons for that. But we have to have a heart to do it. We are called to reconciliation. We have a God of reconciliation. So that should be something that's always at the forefront of our heart when it comes to our friendships. Um, one of the things that uh, we can do uh, practically when it comes to reconciliation is get advice from others. Go to counseling. Talk to somebody else about it. Because sometimes the way we're looking at things is not accurate and we need somebody else to tell us, hey, this may be a little different way to look at this or maybe here's some tools you could use to get through this. So let's look at what happened after uh, a period of time in Paul's life. In 2 Timothy 4.11, one of the last uh, books of the Bible that Paul wrote, he's getting near the end of his life and he knows he's getting near the end and he's, he's writing to some people to share what's going on in his life. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Whatever had happened with John Mark in the past and Paul had now been healed uh, to the point where he saw uh, John Mark as, as a valuable person in his ministry that he really needed. They had reconciled their relationship. So that's the second thing we need to do is, is reconciling. Thirdly, to Experience God's design for true friendship. We need to be undivided. We need to be undivided. Uh, now, it kind of seems like a no-brainer, but there are a lot of things that divide us. One of the things that divides us is values. Uh, we have different values, right? Uh, hopefully, we share a lot of the same values. You'll find a lot of times that, uh, we, you know, you'll be attracted to somebody in a marriage that has very similar values to you. The Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, uh, which means, you know, just don't connect with somebody that has a, just vastly different values than you um, when it comes to spirituality. But uh, I think one of the problems in our culture, especially, there is so much division, and it's not because we necessarily have different values. I know we do, but a lot of times we assign negative values to someone else. So we look at someone and maybe because they hold a position right here about something, we assume their 
we, we wash everybody with the same brush. We say they're, you know, evil. They're selfish. And so we paint them or people paint us with the same brush where they assign a negative value to us and we can't have a relationship. We're divided. That's one of the reasons why our nation is divided right now. Like if you could literally sit down with somebody and just take the time to listen to their heart and be understanding and and speak in a way to them that could help them understand your heart, we might be able to bridge some of those gaps. And I love it when I can sit down with somebody with completely different viewpoints and perspectives and hear what they have to say and truly try and understand them. And that's how we can come together. But to really grow deep with somebody, we have to have similar values. This is what it says in Amos 3.3. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? At some point in a friendship, we have to be united in some of our deepest values. The deeper the friendship, the more the values have to be in alignment. But that's not the only thing that can keep us divided. Sometimes it's expectations of what this relationship really is. That can separate us. Jesus says this in John 15. It was his last night with the disciples, and it's really the first time he uses friendship in context with these disciples he's been with for three years. So he says this to them, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's saying, I'm your friend, and I'm demonstrating that because I'm laying my life down for you. I am sacrificing for you. And in friendship, that is something that can deepen a friendship. When we are sacrificing for somebody else. Then he says this, you are my friends if... He's, a, he's qualifying their friendship. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. So there's a reciprocal relationship going on. Jesus is saying, I am pouring out myself for you. I am sacrificing for you. But there's an expectation you're going to do everything I command. And trust me, he's asking for sacrifice in return. He's asking for obedience in return. And sometimes we think obeying God is so difficult because he's asked me to do something hard, something I don't like. But whatever God's asking of us is only going to be for our benefit, either now or in eternity or for someone else's benefit. It's only going to be good. So Jesus is only asking us to do something that will benefit us or other people. This is the nature of friendship. It's a give and take. And I think that's why sometimes it doesn't feel right if I'm pouring into somebody else's life and they're just taking. And we have relationships like that in our lives. And if that's the nature of the relationships, it's really not a friendship. It's, it's maybe a ministry, but it's not a friendship. And we need to define things for what they are. Uh, it's funny, dating couples, this comes to my mind a lot because I used to talk to them all the time, but uh, we used to have this thing, we call it a friendationship. A friendationship is where one person is dating. There's, t- there's a couple, they're dating. One person is dating, but the other one's friends. You ever heard that happen? Yes, that's a friendationship. Because if they actually talk to each other, one person say, are we dating? And the other person say, no, we're just friends. Oh, it seems like we're dating because we're holding hands and going out and kissing, <laughs> Right? <laughs> 
uh, that's where one person is getting something out of the relationship or they're not defining it the same way. We have to understand it takes two people pouring in, two people committed and understanding what the relationship is all about. So secondly, undivided. Excuse me. Thirdly, undivided. Fourthly, in order to experience God's design for true friendship, I need to be encouraging. This is huge. This is one of the greatest needs that we have in life because life comes at us so fast. Um, Difficulties arise out of nowhere. Uh, Problem relationships happen. Financial struggles happen. Health issues happen. Uh, uh, Problems with family, parents, jobs. There's so many things that we don't plan for that come our way and it can be discouraging at times. Even reading the news is discouraging. That's why we recommend don't do that very often, right? There's a lot of things out there that that are discouraging and we need encouragement. Um, I have received encouragement no less than three times this morning. Uh, I was talking to Joey, he was encouraging me. My my niece, Bailey, who's with us this weekend was encouraging me. Teresa was encouraging me this morning. I've received a lot of encouragement. Uh, People have chosen words to say to me that, that has encouraged my heart. We all need that. And one of the things that can make us feel lonely is when we're not receiving encouragement. And it's not that hard to, to give somebody encouragement. It says this in, in Ephesians. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Some of us are going, oop, uh-oh. <laughs> Say only what helps each word. Uh, excuse me. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Each word is a gift. The words that, you, that come out of your mouth should be a gift to somebody else. Not to tear them down, but to build them up. Uh, The final scripture I want to read is in Proverbs 27, 17. Many of you have heard this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. God designed us for friendship. And we're wired for it in ways we don't even realize. Uh, we bond with people and we don't even think about it, but we just do it. Your body is designed to bond. When you were created, uh, God put hormones in you like endorphins. It's not just when you're eating spicy food, right? Uh, Endorphins are a bonding hormone. Sometimes when people are just getting to know each other and they're excited when they get a call from a friend or dating, some of their dating, whatever, uh, their heart's pound a little faster, they're bonding with them. They're bonding with that person. Do you ever think about the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve was there and they met each other? How in the world did they bond? They didn't even know each other until they saw each other, right? Well, we're, we're designed to bond with one another. And it happens with us without even thinking about it. We need connection. And uh, there's another hormone called oxytocin. It's it's known as the sex hormone, but it happens during, you know, marital intercourse and it it draws a couple together closer, but also it happens when a mom is nursing a baby. It bonds the mom to the baby. Of all the animals in the animal kingdom, humans, I don't believe they're animals, but the, the human baby is the most vulnerable of all because if 
you have a baby, you can't just set it on the ground and within, you know, a day or two, they're up walking around and taking care of themselves, right? If there's a wildebeest out there, you ever seen the shows, the little mama wildebeest is shooting out a wildebeest out the back end there and wildebeest gets wobbly legs and stands up and pretty soon it's on its own and it's going. A baby takes a year at least before it even starts walking and it, it has to have constant attention. And even after it starts walking, it become even more dangerous, right? That's why we have parents in children's ministry right now watching those little kids because you have to say things to toddlers you don't say to normal people. Like, don't eat those bugs and dirt is not good for you, whatever. So, psychologists understand this, that, that, that babies connect to their parents socially. That's one of the reasons why they're so dependent is because they're building a relationship. They're understanding and learning how relationship works. They're learning language. So they're hearing the words that their parents are speaking and they're, it's getting in their head and that's another way that they connect with their parents. We, we bond in ways we can't imagine. Like, like um, there's this thing called emotional contagion. I don't know if you heard of that. But when, when you see somebody laughing, you tend to laugh, right? Um, like, like if a comedian is up here giving a comedy sketch to one person, it won't be that funny. But if the room is filled with people and there's a lot of laughter going on, it makes it funnier. We laugh harder. That's why they put laugh tracks in, in the sitcoms. So that, so that people will laugh more. When, when somebody's crying, we cry. It's emotional contagion because we're connected relationally with other people. We're designed that way. They did this incredible study where they, they found people that were blind due to brain damage, not because their eyes didn't work, but because their brain didn't work. And the part of their brain that received the pictures, it, it didn't process the pictures anymore. So it might have been because of an accident or a stroke or something. So they literally couldn't see. They were blind. But they would show these people a picture, not a person in front of them, but a picture of a person with a facial expression of happiness, laughing, and the blind person would respond and feel happy, and then they would show a picture of a person who's sad and crying, and the blind person would feel sad. How is that possible? Because the eyes aren't just connected to the visual, the, the picture part of the brain, it's also connected to the emotional part of the brain, because God has designed us to connect with each other. It's the biggest thing about us. We're relational beings, and it's got to be the priority of our lives to put relationships first. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, we think about encouragement. You think Jesus didn't need encouragement. He was God. Right? He's God in human flesh. What does Jesus need encouragement for? He could say anything. He could do anything. Well, on the night he was betrayed, a lot of times we think about his suffering on the cross as that was the suffering, but the suffering started the night before. When he was in the garden, he was praying. And for the first time, I think he felt alone. Because he went, and he went to the Father, and he said, Father, if this cup can pass for me, let it pass. And there was nothing. For the first time, Nothing. And he went back to his friends who he'd asked to watch and pray and they were sleeping and he said, can't you just be awake for a little while for me? And he went back and prayed again, Father, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Nothing. And he did it a third time. Nothing. And then he went to the cross as his friends, who he just told, you're my friends if you do everything I command, they abandoned him. And as he sat on the cross, he was abandoned by God alone. And my Siri watch is not understanding what I'm saying. So, Jesus became alone so we wouldn't have to. Jesus paid the price of our sin and shame and brokenness so we could work through it and have deeper connections both to him, to have a relationship with God to begin with, but also to have a relationship with each other. There's nothing more important. And if you don't have good friendships, make it a priority to try and start fostering them. Get involved in some of the groups we have. This fall, we're going to have uh, groups launching again. We're going to have a lot of different variety of them. Get involved. Be vulnerable. Tell people about who you are. Be willing to work through problems in your relationship. Pour into others and, and encourage them, and you will be fulfilling the design God made for you. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just am grateful for your wisdom in our design. You made us with such incredible thought to be able to relate to you, the creator of all things, the eternal God. But you also designed us to relate to one another in deeper ways than maybe we even imagine. And so many of us have experienced hurt and pain and as a part of our broken world, maybe we have stopped making friendship a priority. And so I just pray right now that if, if somebody is feeling lonely right now, that they would be brave and reach out and say, hey, I would love to connect with you or I need to find a group of people and that they would take steps to, to connecting with people, to making friendships the way you designed us to make. And I also know that there may be some people here that came in that, that maybe don't know you, God. They don't know the Jesus that came to this earth and, and lived the perfect life and died for them, but wants them to know him, that, that Jesus is there wanting to reach out and connect and have a friendship with them. But it requires a transaction. It requires that, that they receive the free gift of forgiveness you've given them through your death on the cross, and it also requires them to say, I just want to commit my life to you because that's what a friendship is about. So if you've come here this morning and, and you've never taken that step of faith to say, I want to trust Jesus, I want to give him my life, and I want to have this, this friendship that Dan has described the rest of my life. If, if you want that, just pray this prayer, and let's all pray together as if, if we're making that same prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you be, for being alone so I could be united with you. Please forgive me. I give you my life. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, 
Then after the service, uh, over by where the cookies are, there's a, a, a packet we want to give you. But we just want to say thank you for making that decision. And if you've made a decision today to, to become friends, to work on your friendships, then let's just cement that in our hearts and ask God to help us. God, thank you for all you've done for us. Just pray you'd go with us today in Jesus' name. Amen.